Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Rob. We're a writing team from New Jersey with a passion for film. An aggressive, all-consuming passion. Well, whenever we see a news article we find, like, insane, uh, immediately it's... How can we make a movie out of this? Every episode we read a crazy article from different sources and tumble down our own rabbit hole. Discussing cast, crew, and plot. And then we hash out a pitch for a feature film. So, join us as we BS about movies and ask the important question... What do you got? What do you got? Let's get down to fucking business. To defeat the Huns. Huns. (laughs) Let's get down. I don't know if we're allowed to sing that. Um, (laughs) Uh, Fuck off. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Thank you for joining us, everybody. It's been a little while, as we usually say. Uh, I had to travel and then work just got in the way and we're lazy. So deal with it. Um, to be fair, one of the days we were going to record, there was a lot of snow. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Kind of we were actually going to record this in person, but we figured we'll get it. We're seeing each other tonight, but we figured let's just get it out of the way during the day so we don't have to worry about the job at night. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just easier that way. Uh, this is episode 46. We're, we're tiptoeing towards that 50, mo- uh, 50 mark. Um, excited and happy to be here. Thank you all for those who listen and stay in touch and send us ideas and articles and enjoy listening to two dudes talk about movies that don't exist. It's a fun time for us and we hope it's a fun time for you. Yes. That reminds me when you guys find like cool shit and you want to send it to us, please do not private message it to me because I will look at it, go nice and forgot you ever did that. Um, same exact thing for me uh, <laughs> because I just get private messages from people and then I'm like, nah, send it to the email, send it to the email, send, tweet us, whatever, but just put it to the WDY, WDYG, WD, yeah, WDYG, WDYG podcast, whether it's on Twitter, email, wherever, but just send it to the actual podcast. It just makes it easier for us yeah. to keep track of that things. And then also we'll both see it. So we don't have to be the middleman for either one of each other. Exactly. Um, today's episode is a, a, a fun one. It's one I've been wanting to do for a while. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Rob and I are very, um, avid fans of Saturday night live, uh, not just the show itself, but the history of the show. And there's a lot of history surrounding Saturday night live, uh, some good, some bad. We're going to be talking about some of the bad today. Um, yeah. So I bring you this uh, article from ultimateclassicrock.com, but you can find this story literally anywhere. <laughs> Any cast member from the 90s on SNL will tell this story, whether it's on Howard Stern or anywhere else. Um, we're going to be talking about the infamous Steven Seagal episode of SNL, the one where he got banned and ruined SNL single-handedly. <laughs> um, this is a fascinating story, so strap in. Let's just get started. So on April 20th of 1991, uh, one of the most infamous episodes of SNL uh, launched, which was uh, hosted by Steven Seagal. Uh, David Spade has spoken about this uh, at at length, uh, especially on Rob Lowe's podcast, um, Literally, uh, which I highly recommend if any of you are fans of Rob Lowe or interview podcasts with celebrities literally is, is fantastic. He's it's, it's good seeing it for listening to it from his point of view, because he's in the industry. It's not someone else just interviewing. Um, and he also has stories involved with these people. So like in David Spade's episode, they obviously talk about Tommy boy and Chris Farley and all that. And it's, it's just a really good time. Um, 
but Spade joked about it on the podcast saying, I think maybe his one inch ponytail was too tight for that night. <laughs> um, the actor Steven Seagal was in the midst of basically his all time height of success. Uh, Hard to Kill and Marked for Death had just been released the year earlier. Uh, Out for Justice was just about to come out. Um, and he was. I, I, I like, love the titles of his movies from that period because it's they're all always, the same thing. Because it's always like structured in a way where you can proceed them with Steven Seagal is. Yeah, that or it's like blank to blank or blank for blank or blank in blank. Like it's always Steven hard. Seagal is out for blood. Yeah. Steven Seagal oh. is marked for death. <laughs> exactly. They knew what exactly. they were doing. <laughs> um, so Saturday Night Live had welcomed its fair share of non-comic hosts in the past, many of which were great successes. Um one you would not think is a success was Bruce Willis. He hosted the season before Seagal. We can talk all day about Bruce Willis's career and personality <laughs> and people he's worked with. Uh, this that's this a was moonlighting, Bruce. So. <laughs> that's a whole podcast on its own, um, which I am going to get off a tangent a little bit. Have you heard about, I don't know how to pronounce it. Have you heard about Sabin Films, Saban, Sabin, Sabin? Uh, Saban, yeah. Saban. So I was reading about that the other night because it was about Bruce Willis. And basically, they're just a company that pumps out these generic action movies, pays Bruce Willis a million dollars a day for two days of work. And he's in the movie for like four minutes because they just, you know, cut scenes yep. interspliced with him in it and then he's just put him all on the poster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's insane. <laughs> like, and people are like, how could he go through? How could he go to this after doing all this? I was like, dude, if Bruce Willis wants to make a million dollars a day for two days of work just sitting there, let the man do it. He's, you know what? <laughs> I would do it in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah, um, low budget action flicks. So all legit. does that all the time now too. And, so yeah, they're the same person. exact type of premise. Same exact. Every one of them has the same poster. The three, the three word titles. Um, but I digress. Uh, other people, such as athletes like Wayne Gretzky, Joe Montana, had previously held the role uh, earlier the same season in '91. Uh, George Steinbrenner actually served as host. Suffice it to say, being a comedy king was not a prerequisite. What'd you say? I said Big Stein. Oh, Big Stein. <laughs> I thought you said it's not and then just trailed off. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but Seagal did himself no favors from the moment he arrived for the week of writing and rehearsals leading up to his episode. One thing that people need to realize, if you're not a big fan of SNL or if you just don't know like the history and the, you know, the, the culture uh, surrounding it, while it is a sketch comedy show that's just like a bunch of funny, stupid things on a Saturday night, it is a very, very well-oiled machine. Um, Lauren Michaels runs a very tight ship, whether that's as an actor, a writer, a producer, a crew member, whatever. It is a very stressful job. No matter what position you hold at Saturday Night Live, it is a very tough job. Um, so it's just interesting to see the the work process, especially back in the 80s, the 90s, oh, yeah. you know, got the drugs running rampant. Uh, and everything like that. Have uh, I but, told you the SNL uh, crane story? I don't think so. But even if you have told me, let's tell the audience. Yeah. So uh, I had this professor uh, at Montclair, or I don't, not professor, like an industry professional. They brought in to teach us stuff. Hmm. Uh, his name was Steve. <clears throat> just Steve. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll I'll keep his last name. No, no, I know. It's just like but, um, he was an industry professional. Yeah. Steve. Everybody knows Steve. He he basically runs the studios over at Englewood Cliffs for NBC okay. and CNBC now. But he had uh, gotten to a point in his career where he was going to be managing all the studios at Thirty Rock uh, as like a head of production oh, wow, okay. type of thing. 
Um, and he went around and he wanted to meet with all the people who run the different shows, like the news broadcasts and everything. Uh, and introduce when himself. was this? This must have been early 90s. Okay. Um, and he went, he met uh, a producer and director for SNL. Generally, the guy who's up in control room. And so, like, uh, you know, now that I'm running the studios, I want to know, like, what's something, if I can get it, that would make your life a lot easier on SNL? Like, uh, just a piece of equipment or whatever. Immediately, the guy goes, okay. So, at the beginning of every episode of SNL, you know, we have the the jib, the camera crane, come down across the audience as the host is walking mm-hmm. out. And, the, you know, the crane swoops across them, and there's the host, and then they start doing the monologue. I hate this crane. It's so old. It takes three guys to use. There's one in the back. There's one in the front. There's one on a thing with the camera. They make ones now that are just like totally remote control. I hate this thing. It's a pain in the ass. It doesn't look good. It's a shaky shot because it's an old, old crane. And Steve's like, okay, let's go talk to Lorne. And I can buy you guys this brand new techno jib. And it's going to, I can telescope in and out and do all these things. And it's got a joystick. And they go into Lauren's office and they're like, and so that's what we're going to buy for the show. And Lauren leans back in his chair and goes, let me tell you why that's not going to happen on my show. This is a live program and the audience is a big part of it. When they see that huge fucking camera crane come swooping down across them with a bunch of guys operating it, that puts my audience in a certain frame of mind. I don't particularly care about the technical aspects of it. <laughs> and that's Lauren. It's, it's true, though, because like it's I, I, I wouldn't say it's the analogy of not the analogy. It's the metaphor of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But the, Lauren knows what he's doing. I mean, he's been running the show since 79 minus one year. Um, It's the same as cue cards. You know, they purposely do not use teleprompters on SNL because one, you don't want anything to be fucked up and go wrong and suddenly not have prompters. The show is live while they're Mm -hmm. on like a what, maybe five minute delay. It is still a, a live show. So they've been using cue cards their entire career. It's one of those things where if it ain't broke, don't fix it like this works. Let's not mess with it with adding new technology that we don't know if it's going to work out or not. Let's focus on what we know. Um, and yeah, Lauren, Lauren knows what he's doing. He might be a hard ass. He might <laughs> he might have some misses every once in a while. A lot of SNL movies don't do well, but a lot of them do. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes he picks bad hosts. <laughs> yeah, sometimes he picks bad hosts. That That's, you know, perfect, uh, perfect segue back into the uh, article we're working on. Um, so continuing with Spade on literally, he talks about how Quote, he didn't want to go along with what the plan was for the week. And as a result, I think that was the first week that I heard talk about replacing the host and just doing a cast show. They had never done this before. SNL started in 96, 76. And this is 1991. They'd never done that before, but they're suddenly starting to talk about it. You know, um, Julia Sweeney, who was a (laughs) cast member on the show, spoke about it and said, when we pitched some of our ideas for Seagal at our Monday meeting, So basically, for anyone who doesn't know, what they do is they have a starting meeting on Monday. They keep pitching ideas. Thursday night is writer's night, which means that's when they start actually writing up the scripts. And then Friday and Saturday, they have rehearsals up until the show. 
For any of you who also don't know, SNL does record two shows on Saturday. One is the rehearsal. The other one right after that, literally right after that, is the live show. Now, the rehearsal is the same exact show. It's just one with a different audience. And two, some sketches might be cut for time, which you'll see on YouTube, SNL cut for time sketch titled whatever. A lot of it is Beck and Mooney now, which I hate that they always cut their sketches. Some of them are solid fucking gold, and I don't understand. I know. It's just so weird the way they choose what's cut for time and what's not. Um, The one sketch that always gets me is the one where, shoot, I forget Kyle plays. (laughs) Yeah, there's that one too. Uh, But there's the one where Kyle plays another character who's a new SNL cast member, and it's just him with like a bigger nose, and he's playing like a nerd. You remember this one? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I forget what it's called, but it's it's hilarious, and it's one of those things where it's like, damn, I can't believe this was cut. but they talk about how like a lot of the stuff, you know, goes on and happens. And Julia Sweeney continues to say, and some of the sketches idea, uh, sketch ideas that he was pitching were just so heinous and so hilariously <laughs> awful that they thought they were on candid camera. She talks about this one pitch that like blew my mind. She says, quote, he had this idea that he's a therapist and he wanted Victoria Jackson to be his patient who'd just been raped. And the therapist says, you're going to have to come to me twice a week for like three years because he said, that's how therapists fucking are. They're just trying to get your money. And then he says the psychiatrist tries to have sex with her. That's not a sketch. That's not a sketch at all. That's not it. Rob and I are sketch writers. We don't work for SNL, but we know that that's not a sketch. (laughs) There isn't even a plot there. Like a character. Seriously. Uh, terrible ideas aside, Spade did talk about how he felt like Seagal's biggest part, the biggest uh, addition to his downfall was actually just his refusal to make fun of himself. Quote, a lot of people think that we're there to make fun of them, but if we're getting you on the show to host, we all want it to work. And if you make fun of yourself, this is where it gets tricky. If you make fun of yourself, it will benefit you. And if you mm. don't, and if you fight it so much, that's that was Seagal. He was too cool. Yeah, and he had you know, his image. I always have to look really cool on the show. Yeah, anyone who can make fun of themselves is usually all right in my book. And if you're on SNL, not only is it a huge honor, but being someone who's okay laughing at themselves, laughing at their career, maybe some of the misstep movies they've made, funny enough i was watching um i've been watching a lot of modern family because i just started it and i'm i just started i'm already in season nine i absolutely love it Um, (laughs) but there's there's an episode where jay ed o'neill's character is going on jury duty and he actually uh one of the other jurors terry bradshaw so he meets with them in the cafeteria talks about how he's a a fan and stuff like that and terry bradshaw's like yeah i've had a couple misses as well and ed o'neill just starts bashing failure to launch and it's really funny because, you know, Terry Bradshaw thought that was hilarious, that they were just making fun of this movie that he was in. That's one of those things that Seagal never understood, being able to make fun of yourself. So the cast did their best to adjust to the host's sensibilities. And during a, a 2019 interview on The Howard Stern Show, uh, Dana Carvey talks about his surprising reaction to the Hans and Franz sketch. Uh, this is actually a video in the article if you do want to watch it. Um there is also a sketch uh, video in the article of Jennifer's date, which is one where he plays this girl's dad and Chris Farley comes to take the girl out. It is one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever watched. I don't know how anyone watched this live. <laughs> and it's really saying something that Chris Farley could not save this sketch. Yeah. 
him and Rob Schneider tried so hard to save this sketch and Seagal was just tanking it every step of the way by just <laughs> reading the bare minimum of cue cards. That's all he was doing. That's really all he's good for. That so, and like hip throws. Seriously. So uh, Dana Carvey talks about how like the, the sketch that they were pitching was that him and uh, Kevin Nealon uh, were playing, uh, was it Franz and uh, Hans, Hans and, and Franz? Franz. They're going to pump you up. And the whole the whole premise was that they were big fans of Schwarzenegger and they were just making fun of Seagal and how Schwarzenegger could kick his ass. Seagal hated it so much that he walked off during the rehearsal and Dana Carvey came up to him and asked him if he was okay. And he said, I quote, I just wish Arnold was here so I could kick his fucking ass. <laughs> <sighs> That's like Tim I, Meadows has a great. It, it's like high school shit where it's like you can't possibly let any facet of your personality not be the best. Exactly. In any room that you're in. Exactly. And, and Tim Meadows has a great analogy for it in the article. He says, quote, the biggest problem with Steven Seagal was that he would complain about jokes that he didn't get. So it was like you can't explain something to someone in German if they don't speak German. He just wasn't <laughs> funny, and he was very critical of the cast and the writing staff. He didn't realize that you can't tell somebody they're stupid on Wednesday and expect them to continue writing for you on Saturday. His demands for rewrites were so extended that they continued to the show's opening. Spade said he wouldn't do Kung Fu fighting as a cold open. He noted that Seagal, uh, the original idea had Seagal singing the song while smashing cast members with his martial arts moves. Instead, the actor and occasional recording artist earnestly sang the song while cast members provided backing vocals. It's still kind of funny, but he won't play at all, Spade said. And then the other sketches, he was fighting. <laughs> it's just the amount of like the amount of pushback. To the point where you're just like, I can't pitch anything to this guy anymore because he's not getting it. No. <laughs> he's just not getting it. I don't know what else to do. You have a cast. This is 91. You have Rob Schneider. You have David Spade. You have Chris Farley. You have Adam Sandler. You have Kevin Nealon. You have all of these huge names. And none of them are getting anywhere with this guy. It's, uh, it's it, Okay. So it's not like he's... It's not like he's bad at martial arts. Either. Mm -hmm. Like Aikido's a real thing. The guy's really well trained in Aikido. Yeah. Yeah. But I I don't know why he thinks that means he can do anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Literally anything. He thinks he can do it. There's also there's a great um uh Tom Segura bit. I don't know if you know it about Steven Seagal, but how he actually goes around basically he's a know-it-all. And like he had this show for a little while where he would just talk about anything and he'd be like, oh, uh, uh, it was uh, Steven Seagal is like a, uh, a deputy. He was yep, a, a yep, volunteer yep. sheriff. They, they bring him into the volunteer sheriff to like teach people how to do martial arts. And he's like, he's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's like being like going to NASA and being like, all right, guys, I know you're getting ready to go into space. So uh, today we have a special guest. Uh, uh, Captain Kirk is here to talk about space travel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good bit. Um but the episode, uh, Seagal's episode of SNL became so so infamous that Lorne Michaels quickly removed it from rerun rotation. He banned the actor from ever returning. Of course. Uh, but by the start of the next season, Lorne Michaels was actually at least willing to make fun of it. Uh, a funny part is Nick Cage was host for Saturday Night Live's September episode. In one sketch, the actor lamented to Michaels that fans will probably think he's, quote, the biggest jerk who's ever been on a show. And the producer's response was, no, no, that would be Steven Seagal. Um <laughs> 
It is important to note that Seagal is not the only person to be banned from SNL. Many, many people have been banned from SNL over the years since the show's start. Um, But it is one of the more infamous episodes where there's nothing fun. Like, I urge you, if you're listening to this episode, click the article and watch the Jennifer, or just go on YouTube, watch the Jennifer's Date Saturday Night Live sketch with Chris Farley and Steven Seagal. It is so hard to get through because you can feel the tension in the audience of just being like, oh, God, I don't. Is this going to be all night? What do we it's, do? It, it reminds me of like, I don't know if you've ever done stand up, but I've like, done it once or twice. Yeah. So, you know, you have, you said so you've, you've got your routine, you've, you've, you've written out your stuff, and you might do it one night and it, it, it goes completely well, and you might do it another and you completely bomb. Yeah. But you have to finish. You have to do it. Yeah. You're and doing 15 like, minutes. You got to do those 15 minutes. Yeah. Being made aware that this is bombing, maybe 10 seconds into it. And having five minutes to go, yeah, is one of the worst possible feelings in entertainment. <laughs> it is because uh, you have to finish. I love sketch writing. I love sketch acting. I love improv. I'm not good at stand up. I tried it once, and I was like, "This is not for me." I would love to. I would love to be able to do it. I cannot do it. Props to any comedian who can. <laughs> um, but that's the article. It's just a, a quick rundown of how this infamous 1991 SNL episode went. And how Steven Seagal has never been back on the show in 32 years. I have a I have a quick Steven Seagal story for you. Please, Seagal that story at me. So there's a, uh, a fellow um, named Gene LaBelle. He's a professional martial artist and instructor. Um, he's probably the guy most responsible for popularizing judo in mm-hmm. the West. Uh, to the point where people just call him Judo Gene LaBelle. Uh, and he's a phenomenal grappler. He's trained a lot of people. He's worked with Ronda Rousey, things like mm-hmm. that. Um, and he was working as a stunt coordinator uh, for, I think it was, God, all the titles are the same. It might be Out for Justice. <laughs> okay. Um, Seagal, blood. Out for yeah. justice. Seagal does not treat uh, stunt performers well mm-hmm. uh, and will sometimes just actually hurt them. Gene uh, was not appreciative of that and called him out on it. And Steven Seagal, at one point during filming, claimed... Uh, that he could not be choked into unconsciousness uh, because of how skilled he was at Aikido. And Gene said, do you want to prove that? (laughs) Um, And not only choked Seagal immediately into unconsciousness in front of the crew, Steven Seagal allegedly shit his pants. Oh man, I wish I was there for that. And you know what? He definitely spun it like it didn't happen the moment he came to consciousness. Of course. Of course. <laughs> no, I was not unconscious. I decided to take a nap because you were boring me. <laughs> okay, now I gotta go back to my trailer for uh, reasons. <laughs> Waddling away, holding his butt. <laughs> waddle, waddle. <laughs> but that's the type of person, you know, I liken him very much to Trump. It's very much the same thing absolutely unable to make fun of themselves absolutely unable to say when they're wrong and it's just that's the personality (laughs) although to be fair as much as i I do not like the sheer amount of times he was on television leading up to 2016 trump was not bad when he hosted snl no he wasn't especially before and he he did host once way before the election didn't he 
Uh, the one, the one I'm thinking of is it's like during the election year he hosted. Yeah, that, yeah. Um, I could have sworn he hosted once back in like 2006, 2005 or something. Oh, definitely, because you know he like, was doing the Apprentice. The Apprentice. For NBC. Yeah, and but I just remember <laughs> Pete Davidson was like, I don't think he can read. Yeah, because <laughs> they were doing a sketch at uh, set at Disney World. Yeah, and the last line of the sketch is um, uh, him going like, "All right, come on, let's get out of here." Turkey leg. Like, like, you want to go get turkey, uh, a turkey leg? Um, but he read it as, come on, let's get out of here, turkey leg. <laughs> I mean, in his defense, which I don't come to often, Pete Davidson could easily have a nickname, turkey leg. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was like talking to his, his quote unquote daughter in this couch. Because <laughs> oh. <laughs> I kind of just want to call Pete Davidson turkey leg from now on. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Um, all right, we have the episode, yes. uh, we have the uh, the <laughs> article uh, positioned and all that stuff. So let's get into it because uh, we, we took a good yeah. good amount of time with this one, which I'm totally fine. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> so this is the, oh God, this is the worst person we've ever pitched a movie on and we've done things about Nazis. Um, <laughs> Nick, what do you got? <laughs> well, I'm going to put a Steven Seagal in a movie about Nazis. Now, um, <laughs> Oh, no. uh, the, the film I'm pitching is, uh, I would say it's mostly described as a dramedy. Um, the premise is there's a, and I don't know when this takes place. It might be the eighties, the nineties. It could be present day. Um, but there is a, in, in my film, there's a long running sitcom that's kind of on its last legs. Like they're on season 12, 13, and they're kind of just running out of ideas. They don't know what to do. So they end up hiring uh, an actor who basically is a has-been, but was very famous at one time earlier on in his career, just to help boost the ratings. Well, the actor okay. thinks that it's a big break for him to come back to make his comeback in Hollywood. Uh, he realizes that he's sort of just the butt of the joke for every cast and crew member there. And they're all of kind course. of just like, there's there's no reason for this guy to be here. Um, so the, the premise of my movie is, it's, it's kind of actually uplifting. It's just this guy trying to prove all these people wrong. And he helps make the show very successful again. And in the end, basically ends up getting his own spinoff. And his career becomes more famous than the people on the long-running sitcom. Um, the title of my sitcom is very simply Next Door. Uh, it's just going to be a very generic sitcom premise. Maybe two neighbors who live next door to each other don't see eye to eye you know it's the neighborhood <laughs> oh, it's everybody loves raymond it's every every subtract yep exactly <laughs> um my director of choice is jason orley uh who's very new but just directed a movie i'm raving about if you haven't seen it called i want you back with charlie day and jenny slate um it is a romantic comedy on oh, that's, amazon that's on amazon right yeah. yeah it is fantastic it is it might be tied for my favorite romantic comedy now my first favorite is crazy stupid love um it is a fantastic movie down to every actor down to every scene pacing the comedy everything it's very well done um it's also got a great supporting cast and gina rodriguez scott eastwood uh manny jacinto there's a good there's a good cast in there um my cast of characters uh my cast of actors for this film uh glenn howerton is going to be playing my has-been Okay. I want him to kind of be like a famous child actor who just just uh you know Ooh. flamed out really early on and now I don't want him to, to uh, I don't want him to play his character on Sunny but it's a very similar kind of character where like he's just done with it. 
Mm-hmm. But since the premise is also supposed to be uplifting in the fact that he's inspired himself to work hard again, you know, it's not, it's, it's not just, uh, it's always sunny. So if you want kind of like the arrogance and the ego of a Dennis Reynolds, but without like the blatant sociopathy. Yeah. With a heart, with a yeah. heart, I would say, um, my the cast of uh i only put like the actors and stuff that are in the sitcom i didn't cast like a director or anything like that because it'd just be too many um but the actors in the sitcom are going to be sebastian stan anna Ooh. kendrick anthony anderson and stephanie beatriz Ooh, so like that's my cast. cast uh and they're they're kind of like you know they're they're looking down at Glenn Howerton for like, oh God, he hasn't been on TV in how long? Like, does he even know where to stand and stuff like that? <laughs> um, the title of my movie, I was looking up sitcom terms and I came across one from, ironically, the writers of AP Bio, which is another Glenn Howerton show I haven't watched but want to. Um, they have a term, There, there is a term in, in sitcom writing called uh, sock barrel. And basically what sock barrel is, is when you're using, when you basically end up reusing a joke by accident, the, the analogy is that you pull a sock out of a barrel and you pull another sock out of the barrel. They look very similar, but they're not an exact match. Um, it's kind of a recycling of a joke and you're kind of trying to get away from doing that. But AP where are these bio, people buying their clothes where the socks are in barrels? Oh dude, I just have barrels just in my backyard, socks. just full of socks. It's just my, my sock barrel. I don't, <laughs> I'll bring one over for you. Um, this is, but, I think my privilege is showing. <laughs> but uh, AP Bio uses a different term called the whatever barrel, which is just, it's not socks. It's anything, anything that's recycled that you want to try and steer away from. So the title of my film is the whatever barrel, because it's about this, this show trying not to recycle any more ideas and bring someone on who's actually going to end up changing it. Okay. Um, but that's basically my premise, my cast and director and title. Uh I, I want to make it like a, like I said, like it's an uplifting film more. I don't know if it's, I wouldn't say it's a drama. It's not supposed to be like dry, but it is definitely a dramedy where it's, it's a lighthearted comedy, but it's not slapstick. It's not like, you know, hmm. crazy funny. It's more about this guy's struggle in a way. It's kind of similar to once upon a time in Hollywood uh, with DiCaprio's character. Um, just kind oh, of okay. On the, yeah. Kind of on yeah. The I outs. like that vibe. Yeah, he's kind of on the outs, but he really wants to like make it work. Um, but yeah, that's that's my premise. Um, I took the shittiness of Steven Seagal and I turned it into more of an uplifting story because why not? Yeah, Steven Seagal should go to hell when he dies. Um. <laughs> so, Rob, with that being said, I would love to know what do you got? So, God, when you say it, it's so silky. <laughs> uh. Thank you. Um, so my movie uh, is called Mr. Monday Morning. I love that title. Thank you. Is this a I, Matthew Perry show? It sounds like a Matthew Perry show. God, it sounds like Mr. Damn it, Sunshine. It yeah, Wait, we're, gonna re- <laughs> we're gonna have to reuse that. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> so uh, for director, um, I went with Frank Oz. Okay. Um, just because he has kind of a very bitter sense of humor sometimes that I really yeah. appreciate for. For being Miss Piggy. Um, my general idea is about a guy who uh, one late Friday night foils a mugging on a subway platform. Uh, and a video mm-hmm. of this goes viral. And this guy 
he, I don't even want to call him a has-been. He's a never-been. Okay. Uh, who was played by Daniel Radcliffe. Oh, dude, um, that's so weird. I was about to cast him, but I chose Sebastian Stan. <laughs> um, ooh, excuse me. So he he's a complete loser who attends a Taekwondo dojo or a Taekwondo dojo, if a you Taekwondo will. Taekwondo um, which is run by John David Washington. Um, and he's okay. clearly like the least talented uh, person in this class. Uh, but it's his big thing because he's like an action movie nerd and just watches VHS tapes like a weirdo. Did you? I'm sorry. Did you say Frank Oz is directing but also starring? No, just directing. Okay. Well, he'll, he'll be in it somewhere. <laughs> he's, he's too useful as a face. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, just by virtue of, of foiling this mugging and, and, and it looking really good on cell phone video, uh, it goes viral over the weekend. And that Monday morning, uh, he's invited to be on what I legally cannot refer to as the Today Show. Um, which is hosted by Michelle Williams. Very simply put, let's call it the now show. Yeah. yeah. What's happened now? (laughs) Um, uh, And he is so enamored of like, you know, being interviewed on television by this beautiful woman and his, the video of this going viral and people treating him like a hero. What actor is this again? This isn't John David Williams, right? This is Daniel Radcliffe. Daniel Radcliffe. Sorry. Yes. Uh, He's so enamored of his 15 minutes of fame that he's now desperately trying to prolong it. Uh, and indeed does think he is an incredible martial artist. Ooh, um, okay. Uh, but really, when you look back at the video, it's like, okay, yeah, he did like a pretty basic like toss and the girl <laughs> got away. And it was just like, it, it went up looking very good because of some camera work. Essentially. And it was like, maybe like the guy was caught off guard. So he got one good move in. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's like the most basic one, but it goes off so utterly flawlessly. <laughs> um that now like every week he's seeking out ways uh to essentially prolong him being thought of as a hero mm-hmm. or get himself in the spotlight in some way, like trying to do trying to get his own like Tybo video series going, or like now he's just seeking out crimes. Mm-hmm. Just like a vigilante. Yeah, like the worst possible version of a vigilante. (laughs) Um, And he he always does it on a Friday because he knows, all right, if I do it on a Friday, then it's going to go viral over the weekend, and then I can be on the Today Show on Monday. (laughs) Oh, my God, he schedules out the crimes. Yeah, so he's Mr. Monday Morning, uh, and he's a complete complete shithead who who lets it all go to his head. I love it. I love that (laughs) title, too. We, there's definitely a way we can easily put this together as a as a film. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if it's if it's you know a, a a former child actor who is now you know just like bumming around in a loser, yeah, uh, karate dojo student, and you know that's part of why the story goes so viral. Yeah, like, yeah that's yeah. a pre- that's a pretty easy smash together right there at the beginning. Definitely, so you know, Frankie Muniz caught s- saving woman from robbery. Yeah, you know that that would go viral very quickly. <laughs> and then he books a sitcom. Yeah. Yep. Which is part of it. So now we've got more of a second act, but like you know, obviously they're going to be filming the sitcom for a while, so he feels like you know, like that heat that heat I had from from the viral video and being on the today show, it's kind of wearing off. I can't wait for the show to premiere. I have to keep my name out there. (laughs) Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, maybe it's a new sitcom. It's not something that's been running for a long time. Yeah. 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 And it definitely should be. He puts so much, we can make it dark. He puts so much work into the sitcom, but it doesn't get picked up. So they, they shoot the, they shoot the pilot 
and yeah, he figures hey, it's, it's pilot season man you yeah. know what happens we do like five of these a year yeah what's, and he's what's like, your next one huh <laughs> and then it's him just trying to like basically solve more crimes like like peter parker he kind of sets up a camera and just waits for something to happen he doesn't like instigate it i don't think he I don't think he like hires someone to pretend to rob someone, but maybe he just lives in a really bad part of town and also suspension of disbelief. Maybe it just constantly happens. Um, I I actually, do you think it would be funnier to invert that and have him now be such a complete bonehead that like he's in a black or Hispanic neighborhood, just sort of standing there waiting. Oh, that's a great, that's a great idea. And yeah, people are like, Hey, are you okay? You've been standing here for four hours. Yeah. Just holding his phone or something. Yeah. And it's like, do you, are you wait? Are have you waiting for someone with someone who's supposed to pick you? And it's like, winds up being like one of the nicest communities. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny enough. It's, it's in modern family too. Like Gloria goes back to like visit her neighborhood and she's like, it's very dangerous around here. Be very careful. And this huge white guy with a beard comes up to him and is like, Hey, you guys want to try this nice kombucha smoothie? <laughs> um, so yeah, we can do. That's a great idea too, because you just got this white guy going. Well, I got to go somewhere dangerous. Let's go to a Hispanic neighborhood. They're dangerous. Yeah, you know he's obviously completely off kilter here, and he doesn't mm-hmm. know what he's talking about or why it's yeah. wrong. And it's just wonderful, vibrant community. It's like yeah, yeah, dude. It's Spanish Harlem. Like, yeah, it's like it's like Jersey City. Like he's just walking around like. God damn, there's a lot of bodegas. How come none of them are being robbed? <laughs> Rob the bodega? Wow, what did you... Is that why you're standing here? Is someone making you be lookout? <laughs> are you robbing this bodega? <laughs> look, if things aren't okay, we, you know, there's a lot of us here. We can protect you. <laughs> My therapist's office is right down the street. I can introduce you to Dr. Berger. She'll, she'll be happy to meet with you. <laughs> <laughs> she keeps a block open every afternoon for walk-ins because, you know, sometimes people just, you know, you don't really know. You know, sometimes you just got to walk off the street and just, you know, sometimes you just need to talk to someone. You know what? Here, here's her card. If you want to come, she's three blocks down left, left side of the street. <laughs> I love it. Um, let's, let's, uh, rope, uh, rope out this cast a little bit. Rope it in. Rope it in. Um, well, okay. So honestly, we can just keep my cast for the cast of the sitcom that he's in. The pilot. Yeah. I think, I think I like Len Howerton for this more because he's a little bit older. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so too. That I love Daniel Radcliffe. He's he's wacky as shit. But um, so we'll go with. Glenn he's just Howitt's in my head because of the trailer for that uh, uh, Sandra Bullock movie. Yeah, with Brad, who's definitely going to die very quickly in that movie. <laughs> yeah, he's in one scene in the trailer, and that's the scene he's going to die in. It's yeah, so he's definitely going to die. <laughs> <laughs> I love when Brad gets to do characters like that. Burn after reading, just showing off them chops. Come on, man. It's like I was, you know, when I, I talked about this with Meg. I was like, we, you know, when we all, almost all of us saw Deadpool two before you, and we had to have like a yeah. council meeting to make sure you didn't know that Brad Pitt was in it for three <laughs> yeah. seconds. Not even twenty seconds. It was one frame. It was like one frame of film. And when I saw it, I freaked out. I was like, Brad's in the Brad's in the Marvel movie. Brad's in the Marvel. Movie. Um, what if we use Daniel Radcliffe as Glenn Howerton's um, douchey agent? Ooh, I like that. Like maybe he's the one that actually gives him the idea to go around to these neighborhoods. 
Well, yeah, if you want, you know, if you want this to be your thing, like, you know, where does crime happen? Uh, <laughs> Hispanic you know, neighborhoods. No, I didn't say it. I didn't say it. <laughs> yeah, it's just the whole time. He's not explicitly saying these things, but Glenn's character is obviously like, but he's he, Glenn's character also has to be a bit of a douche, like not he's not Dennis, like we said for my pitch, but he's got a, he's not a good guy. You know, he's doing this shit because he wants to be famous for no other reason. He just wants to be in the limelight. Hmm. So both of them are planning these schemes and neither of them really realize what's wrong with it. You oh know? God. It's kind of, a, I don't know if it's a naivete, but it's, it's a little bit, they're a little naive. They're a little bit skeevy. It's still <laughs> Hollywood. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Um, and wh- what was Michelle Williams in your, in your pitch again? Who was she? The, she the, host, the of the show. host of the Today show. Yeah. So let's, let's keep her because she's fantastic. Michelle Williams. Um, and just like at the, at the climax of the film, she, she clearly has, has been, you know, it's, it's, it's a today show. So you smile the whole time, but like by this point now, she has to make it obvious to him that she has complete, an utter disdain for him as a human being and sees through him completely. Yeah. 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 It's, it reminds me sort of not of this, but the smiling through it thing reminds me very much of uh Kate Blanchett in uh don't look up mm. her and Tyler Perry, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. on that, <laughs> which is basically like another type of like morning show. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I just really love that title, dude. Mr. Monday morning. Thank you. I love it. Um, director. We can go either way with this one. What has Frank Oz directed? He's directed a bunch of things. Um, I don't know. I don't know why the first thing that came to my head was the remix uh, remake of the Stepford Wives, but that's that's not a good example. Um, oh, he, he did, did Death uh, at a Funeral, Dark Crystal, uh, Muppet Take Muppets Take Manhattan. Oh, he did Indian in a cupboard. Oh, little Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Oh, and uh, what about Bob? Yep, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Yeah, he's done a ton. Um. I forgot he did a Dirty Rod Schedules. That's such a good movie. What about uh, what yeah, about um, Bob is, is definitely kind of the vibe that I'm going for here. For sure. Yeah, I, I'm good with Frank Oz. I think adding like, I'm feeling a little bit of like a death to smoochy vibe. You know, maybe not as dark. Yeah, that gets that gets pretty dark. Uh, that gets very unrestrained. Dark. Danny DeVito is is <laughs> a very dark person. Uh, so yeah, honestly, like Robin that. Williams, too. Yeah, the, the fucking cookies. What a it's character! A rocket ship. It's a cock. <laughs> Look, kids, it's a big veiny fucking cock. <laughs> I love that movie. I remember watching that movie, thinking it was just going to be like a fun comedy, and it got so dark. I was young too, and it got yeah. so dark, and I was like, "Oh, they murdered the nice boxer with a mental disability." <laughs> Seriously, they fucking beat the shit out of him when he's yeah. just happy to be on a kid show. <laughs> oh God. Need to rewatch Death of Smoochie. Fucking young John Stewart too. Oh god, yeah, I think he's talked about that. Like, who who is it that's casting me to act in movies? I was so bad in this. <laughs> and who is it? Who's the woman? Is Catherine Keener? It is right. Is it Catherine Keener? I'm pretty sure. I always I don't confuse the two people, but I always get confused who's in what movie between Catherine Keener and Mary Steenburgen. <laughs> like I don't um, confuse them. Yeah, I, I just confuse characters. I'm yes, she did. Sure. I remember. I remember she she has a scene with Robin because they also used to date. And yes, he's like, you yep, just yep. fuck child stars. <laughs> um, 
speaking of Catherine Keener, did you happen to watch uh, the Adam Project? The Adam Project, the, the new Ryan Reynolds on Netflix. No, Adam, I haven't ADAM. seen it. It's 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 good. It's a fun time, but whew, some of the de aging they do on Catherine Keener, it's. Uh, some of it's pretty close to Jeff Bridges in fucking uh, Tron. Huh. I mean, I mean, she's like, what, 60? Like, how yeah, far back they, in time are we going? The weird part, uh, it's about 30 years. Mm. But the weird part is they make her taller and thinner, which I get people do shrink as they get older, but it just looks like a completely different person. Mm. Um, but it's a fun movie. I I, I recommend it. The, the kid does a very good young ryan reynolds like Ooh, okay he really holds his own in that movie um i dig but as as is the new slogan of what do you got i digress um so <laughs> uh we got glenn howerton we got daniel radcliffe michelle williams directed by frank oz we keep my cast of sebastian stan andrew Ke- anna kendrick yeah um all them stephanie beatrice because she's hilarious <laughs> hilarious so yeah we, I, I mean i, I just we... saw a thing where she said during one of the recording sessions for Encanto, i haven't seen uh, it yet either she was having contractions oh i forgot she was pregnant during that and i'm like either a i hope this is just fake and i'm reading something weird <laughs> or b can we stop this thing of actors being like and despite this yeah. I performed. Anyway. Please stop glorifying it. Yeah, like, he no, perf- I, you should probably go to the hospital. The hospital, if you're giving birth, uh, it's more important than this movie you're making. <laughs> like, acting, a, they, the cool thing about acting is you don't have to be actually be experiencing a thing to portray yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's method acting on a whole different level, which oh, never, it's funny enough. I was, we were watching Titanic last night, just like in bed, I have it on. Um, and I was thinking, I was like, at what point does method acting stop a vegan from being a vegan? Cause DiCaprio ate a fuck ton of sushi in um, Wolf of Wall Street. And he ate raw, like bear meat in the Revenant. He ate so, a, uh, yeah, he ate a horse's heart. Yeah. Like, at what point is he no longer a vegan? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's like it's Scott Pilgrim where the vegan police are going to come and take away <laughs> your vegan powers because you had a gelato. <laughs> yeah, but it's a raw horse's heart. It's a little bit different than gelato. His idea. I know. I know. Which always, like, Leo, like, we were going to give it to you anyway. <laughs> You deserved it way before it, but you got it for this. So just, it's good now, bro. It's okay. <laughs> Please calm down. In all honesty, he deserved it for Blood Diamond. Blood Diamond and Wolf of Wall Street, he should have gotten an Oscar for. Blood Diamond, yeah, I feel like that's, that's an underrated movie. It really is. All three of them are good. Him, Demon Hansu, and Jennifer Connelly. The three of them are fantastic in that film. Um, the thing about Jennifer Connelly in that movie is there's a scene at the end. <laughs> Where Leo is dying on a mountain and Are he calls her the with CGI a satellite tear? phone. Yep. And they <laughs> photoshopped a tear onto her face. It's like in Blade Trinity when they had to fucking Photoshop uh, his Wesley Snipes eyes opening because yeah. he refused to open them. See, Talk that about makes another sense whiny bitch. Because he's supposed to be alive at the end of the movie. I don't understand why. Yeah. You needed to digitally force your actress to cry. 
it's it, I, I can't quite put a pin on why it disturbs me but it does <laughs> it's also funny because like if you're if you're not looking for it you you wouldn't really notice it you'd probably be like oh, that looks a little weird but if you know about it you can so easily spot it you yeah. know it's so crazy um no more computers <laughs> i want to tr- i'm trying to find uh a photo just of Catherine keener's de-aging in the adam project just to show you no no now i gotta watch it and i want to be surprised okay okay <laughs> um yeah it's definitely uncanny valley there's something about it like I remember being blown away in Rogue One with uh Grand Moff Tarkin. What was the actor's name again? Um the the original actor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing. The, I remember being blown away by that CG. They did a good job with that, not just because, you know, the quality of the the CG, but also they were sure to like it's on the Death Star, so he was like yep. kind of half in shadow a lot. Yep. Uh, and not brightly lit as opposed to like Leia at the end of the movie is on a very brightly lit white ship. So her face is very washed out. Yeah. It's Jurassic park should really be the coveted goal for any of that type of stuff. Oh yeah. You just 1993 and they got it to look so realistic. Still holds up. Still holds up just by putting it in shadows and keeping the rain going and matching the lighting and the shimmer. Mm-hmm. It's insane that that movie is almost very close to being 30 years old and holds up way better than many movies today. Yeah. <laughs> and insane. you know, it's, it's, it's little things that, that can really push it. Like the big thing, honestly, now that I think about it, the big thing that really made the Tarkin character look good in rogue one is the guy who was mocapping and voicing it um, had, early in his career played a young version of Peter Cushing's Sherlock right. Holmes. I think so I he's essentially been studying the guy's mannerisms for yeah. I don't know, 20, 30 years. Casting is a huge point, but it's, it, I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting like CGI fatigue, but like I sure. can't sit through, like, I don't think I could ever watch justice league again, whether the Snyder cut or not. I don't know if I could watch it again because it's just, green screen and cg and red filter tones and like the avengers the first movie in 2012 did a fantastic job of still at least giving us sets like the new york set and stuff like that Mm -hmm. you get a lot more obviously bigger budget more actors more characters you get a lot more cgi in like infinity war and endgame it still looks great but it's just so much yeah it it feels like i can it gets to the point where I, it feels like I can unfocus my eyes. Yeah. And yeah. just sort of ride this wave that's happening. CG should only be used when practical effects can't work. And I know that's very difficult because practical effects are a thousand times more expensive. That's why companies do CG. Mm-hmm. It's it's way cheaper and it's way quicker. Yeah. The time, the time consuming nature of being on set with a full union crew uh, yeah. waiting for practical props to work. Like, you know, yeah. you get it. Corners like, cut. Yeah, and that's like it's one of the things I still really love the the Jessica Alba Ian Gruffid uh Fantastic Four movies for the fact that Michael Chiklis said I'm not doing this movie unless you put me in a practical suit. Yeah. <laughs> because the practical suit for the thing looks amazing. Oh, I'd kill to have that suit. Dude, 
especially the sound effects they put with it. The rocks moving in his joints and things like that. It feels real. Yep. And then, of course, they make that horrible Fant4 stick with <laughs> with a total CGI thing that just looks mm-hmm. really weird. And, like, the guy in it is Jamie Bell. Yeah. The yeah. skinniest little British twink. <laughs> who can't even pretend to be visibly American Jewish. <laughs> it's true. Like, I, I don't Poor know why I, I, I draw such a hard... I think it's just because I love Ben Grimm as a character so much. I draw yeah. a weirdly hard line. At like, can you please? It's not hard. Find <laughs> a Jewish man who understands what people from Manhattan sound like. Give me Ben Schwartz. Give him a give him a dramatic role for once. <laughs> at this point, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> oh man, we've we've been off topic for a little while, but hey, welcome to the because we finished the episode. We did finish the episode. Around. This this one definitely <laughs> this one definitely put together pretty quickly and easily. Um, yeah. I like it. I think we're good here. I think we have a good uh, good run on things. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, anyone in between, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you like, subscribe, review. Make sure to share, send to your friends. If you listen to podcasts or have friends looking for podcasts, some people just want background noise. Some people want things to listen to on their commute. What do you got is there for you for all your podcast needs? Yeah, find Um, us on Venmo. Send us $5. (laughs) Join our Patreon. We don't have a Patreon. Um, But listen to us wherever. We don't have expenses. (laughs) Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher spotify we are we are on everything uh you can find us share us like subscribe comment as i just said uh it really does help us out we're about to hit episode 50 we really want to gain some traction get better trafficking um we've got uh uh, great ideas coming up uh we're excited for what's to come and it's only going to get better um so keep us on we'll keep you on your toes if you keep us in check (laughs) Uh, we'll have our people call your people (laughs) You can reach us at 881 It's not that hard. Apparently it's not because we've been singing it for like nine years. Yeah, I will always remember it. All right. I've got nothing else to say other than please... Share the podcast. Give it to your friends. They're gonna, they're gonna like it. It's. Do you, do you have a, you have a Nick, you sound so desperate. Do you have a, you have a loved one? For God's sakes, you. I've been Rob. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hurt her. <laughs> I've been Nick. And this is somehow this is what we got. <laughs> what do you got? Is recorded live at the Cape Swoosh Studios in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Our theme song was written and performed by Trevor Campbell. Additional music is provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. And our wonderful logo was designed by Gabby Weiss. You can find her on Twitter at, at Gabby Weiss. 